It is important to make compliance relevant, focused on ethical behavior, and fun. Captain Integrity Production and the law firm of Nelson Mullins presents Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. Stark Integrity explores the world of the Stark Law and healthcare compliance with our nationally recognized Stark Law, Fraud, and Compliance Attorney, Bob Wade. Bob has a national healthcare legal and compliance practice that focuses on the minions of the Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, and the Stark Law, including fair market value and commercial reasonableness. Although Bob is a law partner in the national law firm of Nelson Mullins, the views expressed in Stark Integrity are Bob's personal views and not the views of the firm, and they are not intended to be legal advice. Now, without further ado, I give you Captain Integrity, Bob Wade. Welcome to Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. And my name is Bob Wade, and I am the host. This episode is going to be a little bit different than our other episodes because it is the holiday season. And so for all practical purposes, this is the holiday episode of Stark Integrity. And it's important to make compliance fun and interesting. And a lot of times around the holidays, it's always important to incorporate compliance into the holidays. Uh, As we're celebrating the holidays, it's a good time to sit back and reflect on how we can further integrate compliance into our organization by connecting holiday activities uh, with compliance. And so at the end of this podcast, I am going to be reading uh, Twas the Night Before the Subpoena, uh, which I wrote. And so I'll share that at the end of the podcast. But as I indicated, this is going to be a little bit different because uh, as we approach the holidays, it's always interesting to get to know people. And so I'm going to do a more in-depth introduction of myself, who I am, uh, for those of you who do not know me, and what brings me to uh, the practice of law, specifically the practice of healthcare, as well as compliance. Well, I was uh, raised in a small farming community west of Toledo, Ohio, called Delta, and I graduated in 1982 and went to a university that was close uh, to Toledo called Bowling Green State University. And I graduated from Bowling Green State University with a political science and business administration major in 1986. And it was because I went to Buckeye Boys State back when I was a junior in high school that uh, piqued my interest in the practice of law. Boys State, if you know anything about Boys State, and there was a movie about Boys State, uh, I think it was about the Texas Boys State, you set up a mini government and people are elected to various positions. And during Buckeye Boys State when I went, and so that must have been back in the summer of 1981, Uh, I was elected to be the president of the Bar Association, and I actually gave a 
helped represent one individual uh, on a tort matter. I can say tort. It really was the, the person had shaving cream put into his hand when he was sleeping and his nose was tickled and he slapped his face and obviously shaving cream went everywhere. And so I was actually coming down in the elevator. He was going back up and he said, I need to have a lawyer real quick. Do you know of anyone? And I said, well, yeah, I'm the president of the Bar Association. So I represented him and we won, uh, indicating that it was a tort and it was intentional, et cetera. And there was a judge that was watching me, and he said, you have all the makings of becoming a good lawyer. And he nominated me to go to uh, to Boys Nation. There were two people from Buckeye Boys State that went on to Boys Nation, and I went on to uh, Boys Nation. So I, when I was in college, I took some classes and thought that the practice of law would be intriguing, really not understanding the practice of law, because my, my mother graduated from high school. She was a beautician, really didn't practice much as a beautician. Uh, she was a stay-at-home mother. Uh, my father dropped out of school at the eighth grade to support his family. So in from my nuclear family, when I grew up, uh, nobody went to college yet. And so I was the first uh, to go to college. And so just even the fact of, of trying to be a lawyer, I had no idea what it was or what I was getting into. So I was fortunate enough in order to get into Ohio State. And so I went to Ohio State for law school. And I graduated from law school in 1989. And what's interesting, even though that I'm a 100% healthcare attorney today, I took absolutely zero classes in healthcare. Because back then, people were not having classes in law school that was geared toward the regulatory environment for, uh, for, for health law, like the Stark Act, the anti-kickback statute, et cetera. And obviously, the Stark Act did not come about until the mid-90s, so that would have been a little bit ahead of its time. But the anti-kickback statute obviously was in existence. And I started my career at the law firm of Jones Day at the Columbus office, and there I did corporate bankruptcy and actually litigated a couple of bankruptcy cases, which was interesting. And so I, I was in Columbus, Ohio, and then uh, we migrated to South Bend, Indiana, and I joined the law firm of Baker & Daniels. And when I was with Baker & Daniels uh, for a few years, I was a sports law attorney. Kind of shocking for those of you that who don't know me. Uh, what is a healthcare guy doing in sports law? But uh, we had a niche practice in representing owners of minor league baseball and hockey franchises around the country, and we would represent the owners of these teams as they were negotiating their complex leases with the cities that they that they were in as well as working with the leagues in order to establish the franchise in the various locations and so I was a sports lawyer and one time we had a meeting and somebody asked uh, whether or not an associate was interested in learning a little bit about health law because nobody from our office actually practice in health law and I decided to raise my hand and went to the American Health Lawyers Association introduction to health law. And that's when uh, I, I started to immerse myself into health law. And ultimately, a couple years later, as I've indicated in a couple of previous episodes, that I went in-house at a hospital system at the tail end of a criminal investigation under the anti-kickback statute. And so that was around 1997, I went in-house, 
And so I was in-house as the general counsel and the organizational integrity officer, the compliance officer for the hospital system. Uh, And I served in that capacity from 1998 until 2005. And as I indicated previously in some episodes, I built the compliance program and also was involved in really developing the internal processes and procedures for fair market value. And in 2003, that's when I created Captain Integrity. I created Captain Integrity basically out of frustration that everybody thought everything that came out of the compliance department was no and negative and doom and gloom. And I thought that it would be interesting to turn the image of compliance around in the organization. Since we employed the schoolhouse rock generation, I thought it'd be interesting to create a superhero in order to provide effective compliance education using cartoon strips. And so that started in 2003. And so that was a couple of years before I left my in-house position. I went back to uh, Baker and Daniels, spent a few years there, went on to another uh, Indianapolis-based law firm called Krieg DeVault, spent a few years there, and then ultimately wound up to, in my present law firm, Barnes & Thornburg, practicing 100% in healthcare. Uh, on the regulatory side, as I've indicated, I, I do Stark Law and a kickback statute. Uh, false claims acts, civil monetary penalties, with a, a, a major focus in fair market value and commercial reasonableness. And because these issues are federal, I do not have to be specifically licensed in any one state to, to, to analyze federal statutes. I have to be licensed in one state, and I'm licensed in the state of Indiana, as well as I'm licensed, or I was licensed in Washington, D.C. So I have a D.C. license, an Indiana license, and obviously when I practiced in Ohio, uh, when I was with Jones Day, uh, in the Columbus office, I had a license in Ohio, and I went inactive in Ohio. So I have an inactive license in Ohio, uh, but active in Indiana and active in Washington, D.C. And so I represent hospitals and health systems around the country, uh, again, on these regulatory matters, also laboratories, large physician groups, and ambulatory surgery centers on various legal issues. So obviously, if any of those issues come up to any of the listeners, uh, I'd be more than delighted uh, to receive a call from you uh, and uh, be able to uh, count you as one of my national clients. So... That's just a little bit about me. And, you know, during the holiday season, as I started this uh, episode off, it's always good to try to promote uh, compliance or your legal department at a time of Christmas uh, to uh, inform individuals or to further promote uh, what we do in the compliance department and also the legal world. And this is always the time, and I'll have one exclusive episode on the non-monetary compensation exception, because usually it's around Christmas time when I was in-house. I used to get hammered by calls uh, dealing with the non-monetary compensation. And as I've indicated in previous episodes, because of the broad definition of compensation, compensation meaning any benefit, anytime you give a gift or any item uh, to a physician that is deemed to be compensation, and therefore you have to fit within an exception, a compensation exception under the Stark Law. And if you're listening to this episode in year 2021, 
the annual aggregate under the non-monetary compensation is $429, which means in order to be compliant, you need to monitor and account for the non-monetary compensation that you are providing to physicians to make sure in aggregate that you do not exceed the $429 in one year. And again, in another episode, I'll get in, I'll do a lot of examples and get into some details. But if you're going to blow the $429, most likely it's going to be around the holidays. Uh, when the executives start to give out gifts uh, to physicians, a Christmas gift or a holiday gift, uh, to a referring physician has to be accounted for under that $429 with the assumption that the holiday gift is being given because of the physician's capacity as a physician or a referring physician. Obviously, if the chief executive officer gave a, a holiday gift to a physician and they had a personal relationship uh, that they were friends outside of the CEO slash referring physician relationship, then the CEO can give a holiday gift to that individual, happens to be a referring physician, and it would not have to comply with the $429 in aggregate for 2021. Uh, but uh, if, if it's because the physician is a referring physician, you send like a basket of holiday cookies uh, to a physician practice, and that's valued at $100, then $100 will have to be assessed to every physician in that physician practice. And if you do blow the $429, there are ways that you can get the money back, but the money that is a in excess of the annual aggregate of $429 has to be returned by the physicians by the end of the calendar year in order to be compliant. Now, there's other ways to think about this, uh, including the, the $5,000 minimum exception uh, that was just recently published under the final rules. And again, I'll make all those connections when I have an episode uh, dealing specifically with the non-monetary compensation. But the other thing that hospitals can do with the medical staff is you can throw one medical staff party a year, and the costs and expenses related to that medical staff party will not need to be accounted under the non-monetary compensation. So if you do some type of holiday gala where all members of the medical staff are invited, that would be your one uh, medical staff party or, or occasion, and you would not need to meet any of the Stark Law exceptions for that one party. But once you have that party, let's say that you did it uh, for Doctor's Day and you wanted to account for it under Doctor's Day, you could not do it again around the holidays to have a holiday party because that would be two. And the Stark would only allows one medical staff party or occasion that would be outside of the non-monetary compensation accounting. And during the holidays, I would be remiss if I didn't just remind all of the listeners that it, this is an important time to reach out and uh, to be close to the ones that you love. Also, the people that you work with to show appreciation for being uh, good advocates for the program and just a, you know a friendly environment. We spend a lot of times together during the year uh, outside of our, our regular families uh, with our coworkers, and it's always a great if we can take time uh, to thank our coworkers for the opportunity to spend life together. 
And so it's just a you know really good uh, opportunity during the holidays, Thanksgiving, Hanukkah, Christmas, uh, to do that. And so I'd encourage everyone to recognize uh, individuals who have been important and vital in your career uh, during the holiday season. I remember when I was in-house, I used to invite my staff to my house and we would have an open house uh, for my staff. And it was always a great uh, opportunity, not only to get to know the employees that I worked with, but also their spouses and significant others. That's just a, a great way to, uh, to emphasize the holidays and also what we do in, in the legal department and also in the compliance department. So now, one example of how to integrate the holidays uh, into compliance, I wrote a, a poem, and I encourage all of you who have staff, uh, legal staff, compliance staff, even uh, executive leadership, uh, feel free to play this recording for them, because it, uh, it, it incorporates the theme of "'Twas the Night Before Christmas," but applies it to the Stark Law. And so it, um, it, I hope that it's enjoyable, it's, it was fun to write, and I'm hoping it's fun and interesting to all of you. So I encourage you to sit back and relax with your favorite blanket, your favorite copy of your Code of Conduct, or your favorite copy of the Stark Law, and listen to this poem. Stark Law. Was the night before the subpoena by Bob Wade, also known as Captain Integrity. Twas the night before the subpoena, and all through the place, not a physician was referring, not even one case. The code of conduct was printed and distributed with care in hopes that the DOJ would not come there. The CEO hoped referrals would resume while compliance and legal counsel conferred in the boardroom. The medical staff were trained on Stark and AKS, while seeking compensation above FMV and nothing less. When outside the main entrance, AUSAs arrived in SUVs, Captain Integrity dashed to see what they would seize. Away to meet them, the captain flew like a flash, knowing one purpose was to obtain a large sum of cash. Lights fell on the subpoena, which brought issues to light. The Stark Law was the subject, and liability was not slight. When what to captain's eyes did appear, but a case of files of an investigation unclear. With a review of the subpoena so brief and so quick, Captain Integrity knew in a moment the Stark Law topic. More rapid than a needle stick, the problem exceptions they came, and he whistled and shouted and called them by name. Now employment, now rental of equipment and space, on personal service arrangements and a fair market value case. To the conference room to review the issues we would go, to find a possible defense through console we know. As investigations passed and settlements apply, when reviewing our case, console's guidance, we will rely. Review the financial arrangements and payment due, geared toward compliance with exceptions we drew. And then in a twinkling, we would ponder FMV and the concept of commercial reasonableness consider will we. As Captain Integrity drew in his head and was turning around, a defense he thought about which must be sound. 
he considered the options and sought input from the compliance officer, who was no tenderfoot. An opinion received from a wild back that considered the deal and received a lot of flack. The opinion concluded that the physicians should be wary, and the CEO felt the conclusion was scary. But the deal needed to be made, the answer could not be no, because if the deal was not made, the physicians would go. The executives felt the Stark Law had no teeth, and dollars encircled their heads like a wreath. With a satisfied conscience and a full belly, they entered the deal, even though it was smelly. Captain Integrity had objected, including myself, so the opinion was placed up high on a shelf. With no defense to the allegations I could shed, gave me a conclusion, one to dread. A settlement must be made and a CIA must be worked and to be monitored by the OIG, who will not be a jerk. A monetary settlement we will pay through the nose with compliance oversight with experts we chose. We sprang to our work with our team we were committal. We will comply with the Stark Law because compliance is critical. But we heard Captain Integrity exclaim as he worked with our physicians and team, the Stark Law is for real, and integrity is our theme. I hope you enjoyed Stark Law. Twas the night before the subpoena. And as we conclude this holiday episode, it's time for the three Captain Integrity punch points. Uh, punch point number one, personally, just want to make sure everybody knows, I represent clients around the country on the Stark Law, Anti-Kickback Statute, False Claims Act, Fair Market Value, and Commercial Reasonableness. So just want to emphasize that. Punch point number two, compliance can be fun. Uh, don't be afraid to see how you can make compliance relevant, just like I did with the Twas the Night Before the Subpoena. And you can think about, you know, cookies from the compliance department, having a compliance holiday tree, uh, and other examples just to have fun with compliance, but also uh, interact with the other employees regarding compliance and our legal requirements. And lastly, as for the holiday season, enjoy the people with whom you work. Surround yourself with people of high ethics and integrity, and just be thankful that those are the individuals that you interact with every single day. So with that, have a happy holiday, and I will see you at the next episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Stark Integrity, the Stark Law and Compliance Podcast. If you have any questions regarding this episode, the Stark Law, or healthcare compliance, you can contact me at bobwadecaptainintegrity at gmail.com or my law firm email address at bob.wade at nelsonmullins.com. You can review this and any other episode of Stark Integrity at the Captain Integrity website at captainintegrity.com. You can also follow me on LinkedIn under Bob Wade. I hope the three Captain Integrity punch points will help you with the Stark Law and compliance. In closing, remember that integrity depends on you and me.